Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. And I'm hungry. How are you all doing? Enjoying your Labor Day weekend? Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, once again for the opportunity to come together and to worship. Be with us as we now do a deep dive into the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it was, I don't remember exactly. I think it was maybe around 1980. A very well-to-do businessman by the name of uh, Dick Bass decided he wanted to take his kids to the Matterhorn and climb it. He was a little older. I think he was probably around 50 years old. And uh, so he dragged his kids all the way over there. I think some of them were still in college and they were able to, uh, to climb the mountain. And he'd done so earlier, I believe, when he was in college and it lit a fire in him. And he decided, you know what? Let's go climb Mount Denali. And let's go climb Mount Aconcagua. And pretty soon he realized he had climbed several of the tallest peaks on each continent and then came this really brilliant, great idea. Let's climb the highest peak of each continent, also known as, anybody know? The Seven Summits, all right? And he knew he couldn't do it all on his own. Yes, he was a very successful businessman, but he needed help. So he reached out to some friends. I believe they helped climb a guide on uh, Mount Rainier. Marty Hoey was one of the guides, uh, a strong female climber who I believe had climbed Mount Everest at that point, and a bunch of other people. And in order to be able to make this project complete, he had to go and he had to really learn how to climb because the type of climbing that they were going to be doing required an extra care of of diligence and technique. And especially when you're climbing above 8,000 meters, that goes to a whole nother realm where, in his case, he would have to use bottled oxygen. But when you're 50 years old, you know, you kind of get set in your ways. You think you know a lot of things, and he did. But he still didn't know the fine, fine tunings of high altitude climbing. And it was here at 50 years old, he suddenly realized, you know what? <laughs> I'm out of my league. I have to be able to get some help. So he hired all of these guys. And in the meantime as well, he met another man by the name of Frank Wells, another very business, uh, very successful businessman. He helped uh, lead uh, a number of Hollywood ventures. Uh, I don't remember exactly uh, what companies, but he was the president of several uh, high, <laughs> high companies. I, either, I think it was either Paramount or Warner Brothers. Eventually, he would go on to take the reins of Disney. Tragically, in, in 19, I think it was either 1993 or 1994, he was in a helicopter plane crash, uh, helicopter crash, and he passed away early. But two different individuals, Dick Bass, 
His business was in oil and in other ventures, strong conservative from Texas and Frank Wells from California. Two polar opposites. They came together and they wanted to complete the goal of summiting all seven summits. And along the way, they learned. They were, they were humbled many times, thinking they could easily carry a pack that could weigh anywhere from 40 to 80 and sometimes even 90 pounds at a time. And depending on the peak, maybe even pulling a sled. It was a Herculean effort, especially for the guys who were older, you know? They weren't, they weren't 18. Being 50 plus years old was hard. But along the way, Frank, he was able to complete six. And uh, I believe it was in May of 1985, Dick Bass stood on the top of Mount Everest at 55 years of age, completing the dream of the seven summits. In order to accomplish that goal, he had to listen. He had to be taught. In, so many, in, in, in many ways, he had to find mentors, many of them who were even younger than him. But as he did so, he was able to grow and finally achieve that dream, that goal of standing not only on Mount Everest and being the oldest person to do so at the time, but also of being able to complete the seven summits, being the first person to do so. Today, we're going to talk about discipleship. And let's go to Matthew chapter 4. This is a very prominent theme in the book of Matthew. We've already talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And in the second Sabbath, we talked about Jesus being the anointed one. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven as a major, major theme. In fact, we're going to even kind of touch base a little bit on that today. But let's go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 18. And it's here that Jesus calls his disciples. All right. So in verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, their father, and followed him. Every time I read this story, I always wonder, how did Mr. Zebedee feel that his two sons left to go and follow Jesus. Perhaps they'd probably already heard of who Jesus was. He was a man who, who could heal and, and, and he was teaching, he was preaching. He was different from everybody else. And they essentially were leaving behind the family trade. They were leaving behind the lives that they knew to go on this new venture a new season of their life, and to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. If somebody were to call you and say, come follow me, if Jesus were to come here and say, hey, come follow me, would you really want to follow? 
what would probably be the common response? You're a madman, right? Because how many people, how many times have you heard that? And yet here in this story, Jesus, he calls his first disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. He learns from the rabbi. It was, it was common back then that especially those who would be, go on to become Pharisees and, and scribes, early on, they would learn and they would know uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and, and the rest of what we now know as the Old Testament, but especially the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you made the cut, you would be able to go on and learn from a, a, a rabbi. And to do so, you would learn to imitate him. He would serve as a mentor. And in this case, Jesus here as well, as they would later call him rabbi, he would become their teacher. And just like Simon, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Jesus is calling us to become disciples, to follow the teachings of Jesus. Dallas Willard, he says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I read this earlier. I thought, man, this is, this is really awesome. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Because ultimately, we're called to imitate and, and to take on what Jesus has shared with us in the book of Matthew. To be kind, to be loving, to, uh, to go out and preach the good news and all that Jesus has taught. Now, in, in Matthew 16... Jesus also says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Anybody know? Deny themselves and take up their cross and what? Follow me. This is a theme in Matthew of come follow me. He says it elsewhere as well. But these are some of the the, the two passages that really stand out here. In fact, it goes on, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Imagine, let's just say you had $100 billion, but you had no friends, you had no money. You were alone. And at the end, you just die. Or would you choose to follow someone who brings life, who brings hope, and to have family? Which life would you want? Yeah, you could have everything in the world. But when you die, that's it. In fact, this this calling, discipleship, is a lifelong commitment. Peter, James, John, those guys, their life would be forever changed when they left and dropped those nets to take on a calling because their calling didn't stop when Jesus died. It had just begun. And in the three years that they spent with Jesus, it was a time where they learned 
who God was and, and, and Jesus passing down lessons that would strengthen and encourage them for the future. And the other thing that we have to keep in mind too, George Knight, he says, the gospel and ethics, they cannot be separated. The gospel and ethics cannot be separated. Who we are and how we live is important. If Jesus has touched our lives and we desire to follow God, we're called to live as Jesus would want you. And so in the gospel of Matthew, there are five discourses. The first one we call the Sermon on the Mount. Extended times where Jesus would, maybe they just, they sat down and Jesus would just share something with them. And, and, and it was lessons, not only on how to live life, but how to be a disciple. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and my, five through 7. In fact, we find here in Matthew 5 through 7, the first thing that Jesus talks about is the Beatitudes, the attitudes of those who are called to be disciples, to be, uh, to be uh, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst, those who are pure in heart, those who are poor in spirit, all of these. You also, Jesus also talks about salt and light. He talks about the fulfillment of the law. He talks about murder and anger, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, love for enemies, giving to the needy. He talks about how we can pray in Matthew 6. In fact, we've even touched on this already. He talks about fasting and treasures in heaven where your heart should be to not to worry, that we should not judge others, and also how we can ask, seek, and knock the wide and narrow gates, um, the true and false prophets and disciples, and finally, the wise and foolish builders. So over two chapters, Jesus, he's sitting, he's sitting on this mountain and there's thousands of people below. And all of a sudden, he, he starts to teach and make clear and, and really say, hey, this is how you should live your lives. These are the attitudes you should take on. This is how you should treat others. And this is where you should put your trust and your hope in the long run. In Matthew 10, it talks about missions where Jesus sends uh, the, the 12 disciples out. And, and in fact, let's even go there. Let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. And so Jesus, in verse one, Jesus called his 12 disciples to them and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother, Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then, Jesus, then the 12, these 12, Jesus sends out with the following instructions. Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven, another instance, has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, 
Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have asked, freely give. Now, where it mentions, hey, you know, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. It's not that Jesus doesn't care for them, but in starting out, hey, as a task in the beginning, go out to the lost, your lost brothers and sisters. And and just uh, what is also central to Gospel of Matthew is to teach, to proclaim, and to heal. Jesus is sending them out. He's giving them instructions, and he sends them out together to go and minister. And so discipleship is not only living, but also going out and serving. This is the second discourse. Now, it continues on for uh, another uh, 40, uh, uh, it goes, there's 42 verses in chapter 10. And it actually actually uh, continues, but uh, especially here though, this is important that this is the missions part. We're called to go out and to serve and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, especially to those who are lost, for those who have left, for those who've even never heard of Jesus. In Matthew 13, Jesus goes on another discourse, another mini sermon, where he talks about uh, several parables. Some of them you probably are very familiar with. For instance, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the net. And also at the end, he talks about a, a prophet without honor. Now in each of these parables, he leads with the kingdom of heaven is like. So this kingdom that Jesus is referring to the, the, the kingdom, as we've turned about, talked about last week, both present and future. Additionally, in Matthew 18, the discourse on the church of how we should treat our brothers and sisters. And in, in Matthew 18 is somewhat of a, a challenging uh, chapter to some degree. It talks about uh, the greatest in the kingdom of God. And when we... In Matthew 18, who does Jesus refer to as the greatest in the kingdom? The humble, but also who else? There's, there's a certain group of people that he, he uses as an example. Children, right? I love children because, you know, they just, they haven't been, um, they still believe, right? Uh, they're not jaded and, and they're honest and, 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 to be dependent on their parents, much like we should live as well, because we we depend on our Heavenly Father for everything. We're called to believe and to go forth. But it also talks about how we should handle those who cause others to stumble, or perhaps maybe they're hurting and harming other people, gives directions. For instance, let's go to actually let's go to Matthew 18. Uh, let's go to verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. So it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is really good common advice. Amen. If you see somebody, you know, somebody that you care about, right? 
And, and don't just say, hey, you're messing up. <laughs> let's, let's not go that approach. But if we truly care about our brother and sister, we say, hey, man, I just, I've been noticing something. I mean, are, are you okay? Right? That's the first thing. We don't go out. We don't tell everybody. We don't. But yet we go and we talk. And it says if they, if they don't, uh, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along the way so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if, if, if you can't get, <laughs> make any sense with this guy or gal, then hey, bring in a couple other people that who do care about this individual. And if they still refuse to listen, you know, tell the church, and if they refuse even more to listen, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, when you read that, when it says, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, do you believe that Jesus is being harsh here? Because were pagans and tax collectors well-received in the time of Jesus? They weren't. In fact, they were on the lower end, the lower of the bottom of the, the social standings, the social, uh, culturally, you didn't hang out with pagans. You didn't hang out with tax collectors. But in this case, Jesus is saying, hey, Treat this brother or sister as if they don't know anything and you start from the very beginning, okay? Simple lesson that we can all apply in dealing with people who either we're having a problem with as well, okay? Maybe somebody said something and you heard it, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth person. Go to the source and hash your problems out. But it also talks about... Um, you know, grace and love. When we follow God, we should, uh, we should follow Jesus' example to be kind, to be loving, and to, and in this case here as well, to be merciful, uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. The fifth and final discourse in Matthew is one where it takes place on Mount Olive, or the Olivet, or also known as the end times discourse. In Matthew 24, it talks about the destruction of the temple. And, and when Jesus says that the temple is going to be destroyed to them, like they're just, they're blown away. How can this happen? Yet Jesus predicts it. And later on, uh, and, uh, it, it will come true. But the temple was the lifeblood of, of, of the Jewish community. And here he says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And he's alluding to the fact of, of, the, of the end times. And yet, in, in later in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus points out that the day and the hour is unknown. Nevertheless, in chapter 25, he talks about the parable of the, the ten virgins. And the main lesson that we can take from the parable of the ten virgins is be ready, right? Don't go to sleep. Don't take it for granted. Always be ready. And, and, and the second uh, parable in Matthew 25 of, of, of this, uh, this discourse talks about the bags of gold. And one of the key characteristics of the servants was that they did things immediately, and finally, the last part is the sheep and the goats. God calls us to go care for one another, to feed 
those who were hungry, to care for those who were in prison. And, and so you see, not only in the future do we need to know, but let's practice and be the disciples that God has called us to be. So some of the characteristics of the disciples as they learned in, in the book of Matthew is, number one, was a desire to know Christ. And the disciples were fortunate that, again, they got to spend three years with Jesus. And they weren't staying at the Ritz-Carlton. They weren't staying at the Hilton. Sometimes they didn't even have a place. They would sleep in a field probably. Or if, if they knew somebody, they could, you know, they could stay in somebody's house. But Jesus said, you know, look, this, this road that we're on is not always going to be easy. But I'm calling you to be faithful. And therein, he was able to pass on the teachings that we now have in Scripture and in Matthew. In fact, I think each of these discourses are building on each other. The first one talks about the fact of this is the thing, these are the things you need to know to live well and what I expect, I expect you how to live. Not only that, I want to send you out as ambassadors, as Paul says, to be missionaries. And then not only that, I want you to teach these things like the parable of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like that. In Matthew 18, it talks about, okay, so we have believers. We're a church. This is how we should treat one another. This is how we should deal with people who are struggling. These are some of the things, the characteristics that I want you to share with others. And finally, at the end, the conclusion is, but don't wait, don't, uh, sorry, but wait, there is more. I am coming back. But in the meantime, please continue to live like this. Be ready. Be, be faithful and love well. Do you see the building up to it? And so to know Christ, but also to be humble. Have a willingness. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So characteristics of the disciples is to know Christ, to be humble, and a willingness to learn. Jesus also continually talks about this fact of you got to love your neighbor and love them well. Be ready to serve. Jesus already taught them in Matthew 10 and in other places, but especially in Matthew 10, be ready and willing to serve. And the last thing is, once you have learned and you've been taught well, pass this knowledge along to other people. Because if we're not passing these teachings, will the church ever grow? We have to have New people come in, and when they do, we mentor them. And not just when people come in, but your children that come into the church, we want to mentor them to grow to be the next leaders, or not even next. If they're old enough, let's place them, make them be leaders already. God wants us to show who God is and to follow God with everything, with all of our heart, 
our soul and our mind. And eventually, we accidentally passed over, but in, in Matthew 28, as Jesus closes Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what? Go and make disciples of who? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What did Jesus do this whole time? Discipleship. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' last parting words to the disciples was to go to all nations. And when he says all nations, the world. But especially in our community of where we are here in Downey and wherever you live. But to go all into the nations to teach, preach, baptize. And even taking on that tenet of of helping others uh, to find healing that is central to the good news. And the beautiful thing too is God says, I have not left you, but go and be ready for me. Amen? I want to close with a quote by uh, Robbie Gallaty. He says, when the church becomes an end in itself, it ends. Uh, I'm going to change this here. When Sabbath school, as great as it is, becomes an end in itself, it ends. When small groups Ministry becomes an end in itself, it ends. When this worship service becomes an end in itself, it ends. What we need is for discipleship to become the goal, and then the process never ends. The process is fluid. It is moving. It is active. It is a living thing. It must continue to go on. Every disciple must make disciples. That is a key thing that has been true ever since Jesus called Peter James John and Andrew, been making disciples ever since. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, let us continue to be faithful, to ask God every day, Lord, grant me an opportunity to be uh, a faithful servant to you, to serve you, that I can not only be a blessing to others, grant me the words of wisdom and the knowledge to know how to share you with others that others may know, whether on Lakewood Avenue, Paramount, or whether they're driving on the five right now, that they may know who you are and that they might find grace and freedom in you, in Jesus. So let's be faithful. Let us go forth and continue God's calling as disciples. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness, Lord. And for the many teachings, Lord, and especially as we look through scripture and how it builds on itself, Lord, help us to see these things. And not only that, Lord, make the scriptures come alive. And may we be faithful to these teachings that we don't just read them, Lord, but that we actually do them. Lord, it's only because of you that we are here. Thank you for your goodness your love, and your grace. Be with our brothers and sisters. Help us to have a safe Labor Day weekend. And above all, Lord, may you reign supreme in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, everybody. 
We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.